Welcome to the Full Circle Podcast, Finding Your Way Home. I'm Gillian McMichael, and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. So today I am in conversation with Katie Barron, an author, a journalist, and trends forecaster. Now, Katie is going to explore a little bit more around personal branding, her experiences working with some amazing people, and how she helps curate the message and all around what people are, who they are, and how they present themselves to the world. So all I can say is sit back and enjoy the conversation. All right, Katie, welcome to the Full Circle podcast, Finding Your Way Home. So Katie is an author, she's a journalist and a trends analyst, and we're going to get into all sorts of different things today, but we're also going to talk a little bit around personal branding yeah. and the importance of all of that. So welcome to the conversation. Thank you for having me. So why don't you do a bit more of a better introduction? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so you can share with our listeners a little bit more around what you do and, yeah. and just a little bit more about you and what's brought you to what you do. Yeah. Not that that introduction wasn't perfect, Julian, <laughs> at all. But no, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a writer, author, a sort of futurist, if you like. So effectively what I do is I'm a kind of, I guess, a sort of analytic writer in many ways. I come actually from a background as being a producer. I've worked in visual and creative culture for a long time. And so now actually my, my sort of day job, as it were, is I work for a company called Stylus, where I'm kind of mapping out the future. I'm looking specifically at retail and brand communications, mm -hmm. hence the communications aspect, which I yep. filter into other things that I do, and also pop culture and media. So I'm really looking at kind of what's the future, but based on what's happening socially, politically, new technologies, mm -hmm. the pop cultural backdrop, what is it all that gets us excited? Why is this happening? How are our lives changing? So really kind of I'm, I'm, as a writer and an author, I'm looking at, at these sort of myriad of things and sort of to try and work out what's happening in the future, how the, sh the future may change, but also how we can change it ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and as a writer, so I always have that kind of analytic bent you know, aside that I do, and actually the work I do there involves lots of interviewing, lots of profiling, because to yeah. really get under the skin of these things, to be an expert, it's it's a strange job to kind of, to be an expert, you have to learn constantly. You yeah. have to kind of seek out the people that are more expert than you to make you expert. Mm -hmm. And my expertise is really putting all these different yeah. things together to join the dots. So as a writer, really, it, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm doing profiles for magazines whether it's to do with fashion or beauty or opera or any of these things or if I'm working on a private project that I work with with yeah. clients where I'm actually helping them with their own kind of personal journey and their personal yeah. branding for me it's very much about getting into what is unique what is different how do you join the dots between these things in a way that other people can't so I guess that's kind of the crux of my skill really is sort of seeing patterns, seeing things that other people don't mm -hmm. see. And actually, when I'm working on personal projects, the way that manifests, if you like, is I'm looking for things that people don't always see in themselves yeah. or that they probably know somewhere deep down, but they either can't articulate yeah. or maybe they, they don't even believe it enough themselves. Mm. And I, part of the work I do with them kind of inadvertently, really, is to say, actually, I really see this in you and this is phenomenal you are are you aware of it are you not aware yeah. of it are you aware of it in a quite sort of latent way so hopefully that explains it's a bit it, it's a bit funny because 
I'm sort of different things to different people. Yeah, really. Absolutely. Some people really know me as a sort of as, as a like writing articles, yeah. and other people know me more as a kind of a researcher and a kind of consultant. Fascinating, though, and really want to kind of find out a little bit more. So you mentioned before, obviously, that you're analytical in, in, in many ways because you need to be because of the nature of the work that you do but have you always been you know rewind to being a little girl yeah. would, would you say that that was always a strength of yours I think so I think I was always um really interested in what other people did and how that would feed into what I did mm-hmm. so even as a kid um my mum was talking about this the other day actually that I would always, um, I had a thing where I was obsessed with making, uh, doing like radio shows. So basically the whole, you know, the point with, with the radio show, so A, I'd always get a little, one of my little pals would be sort of forced to join in. <laughs> I guess it would be a bit like my co-producer or something. Um, but it was always like, okay, what do we put in the show? Who else do we bring in? We need horoscopes. We need a cooking bit. Now we have our music bit. And I think I've always sort of taken that through. You know, when I was at university, I actually did graphic arts and design. But I think I knew from quite early on I didn't really want to be a graphic designer. I actually was really sort of a bit obsessed with bringing other people's skills in. So I almost took on a role where I was more the kind of art director and I would work on these sort of visual projects where it was like, okay, well, actually, I was quite good at photography, but actually there was someone else that was a more amazing you know, I was on a course with animators, f- yeah. filmmakers, photographers, illustrators. And actually, so when I was there, I, I did a course with um, the DNAD, the, the um, sort of design and art direction advertising. They, they did a new thing in, they had a northern programme for university. And, and so for that, I got involved in that. So really, I kind of, it was an advertising thing. I became the art director. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of constantly having to find your team, yeah. as it were. And in doing that, you're having to, you know, manage teams of people who have quite different skills and so you have to become quite good I think it being quite it makes you maybe perceptive because you're sort of looking at people who see the world in quite a different way and that was always something that was fascinating Um, and that's why I love the way I get to work as when I'm sort of whether I'm doing personal branding or journalist that actually sometimes you have to kind of confront things you have to confront Mm -hmm. your own prejudices even or or simply go into places that you had no idea about um so yeah even as a kid and then right through to university I was always uh, you know without realizing it at the time obviously wanting to explore Mm -hmm. other worlds I think absolutely amazing because I mean obviously you've helped me um with pull my biography together and that's how we first met and and I think what's interesting is you going back to that sense of you picking up the pieces or the, the, the seeing the threads and the connections that I think sometimes we find it difficult yeah. to do for yourself. And it's always a lot easier when someone else can see those and make those connections. So tell me a little bit more around that journey of when you take a client, whether that's through the, you know, um, yeah, whether it's working with private clients or, or yeah. through your, the other organ, you know, your other organization that you work for. So tell me a little bit about more around that journey of, well, first of all, why is it important? Yeah. To have a brand in the first instance. Yeah, I think because everybody has something very unique to give and it's about being able to express that. And I think for most people, probably actually myself included, I'll probably need a me to help <laughs> me at some point soon, is it's very difficult to understand that kind of specificity of who you are. It's like, you know, you'll see so many companies that work um, in things, even, you know, pioneering technology, whatever it might be, and they kind of say, we're innovative and we're groundbreaking and you kind of look at it and you go but anyone in your area can say that 
And so actually for me, it's about getting into that almost sort of forensic analysis mm -hmm. of, I mean, you know, it's a profile. It really is a profile. Like what, like if you, as if you were doing a police profile in a way, God, this is really not how I want to sell it. Um, but it's, it's about that kind of specificity of really who you are, what it is yeah. that motivates you, what you want to give and how you want to talk about it. And even your own language, because I think what I never want to do is sort of derail someone's own voice. So it's almost about pulling out their very unique voice and, and to, to get there it's really important to go as we did with you to go right back yeah. through where is it that you came from and yeah. what is it that motivated you and what were the pivotal moments and what were those moments of your own kind of metamorphosis because mm. I think quite often for me it's those moments where people have not exactly a eureka moment sometimes actually they're, they're almost the opposite they're actually yeah. really hard dark moments but that make them understand really who it is who it is that they are yeah. and how they've transformed themselves, how they've kind of, or not transformed or kind of becoming. Yeah. I've written a book that we might talk about, I guess, to do with the relationship yeah. between fashion mm -hmm. and music. We'll definitely talk and about that. And so mm -hmm. much of that is almost about that kind of sense of becoming. Mm. And sometimes people do it on their own and sometimes people meet someone and they have a kind of creative collision that assists that becoming. Yeah. But I've always been really fascinated in that because I've always increasingly actually in the last few years become, and having talked to people like yourself and, and I work with psychologists a lot and sociologists in the job that I do with brands yeah. um, and trying to work out where our culture is going, where our society is going, how that will affect how what brands do. And I think that idea that many of us are very wedded to the idea that, you know, this is someone's personality. You hear it on the news yeah. where people go, well, that was very out of character for that person. Mm. As if from quite an early age, we're sort of fixed and we're, we're wedded to things. And sometimes those things really don't serve us very well. Absolutely. And they're not who we really are. So I'm always really interested in those stories, particularly where people have kind of broken out of that, broken out of that mould. Yeah. Particularly, you know, the book with fashion and music is full of people like that, that have not all, you know, quite consciously sometimes have had that absolute you know some of those people are quite extreme because they've had that absolute sort of desperation um they know there's something inside themselves that they need to create yeah. or construct so yeah so, so that's how we sort of work together I mean on a more kind of practical level yeah it's literally like a really in-depth interview mm -hmm. about everything that makes you who you are where you want to go and but they're quite exploratory because quite yeah. often at the beginning I think the things people think, yeah, well, I know this about myself and I'm going to go through this. And actually through the conversations we have, part of that process is for me to kind of probe in a way and go yeah. and go, hang on a minute, but you said that there, mm. but tell me more about what that really means. Yeah. So it can almost be a bit like a therapy session. Well, you're well, probably a better place to well, say that. I don't know. I mean, I have to be honest, it's interesting because I think, you know, with that research ahead on, in essence, it, it felt very much that, you were researching me yes. in a way, um, yeah. not like in the, like Googling and things like, but they're just through the conversation, but it did feel very thought provoking. And I think it does take you to places that perhaps you'd forgotten about or not really thought about. And I think that ability then to make the connections, I think was quite, I felt yeah. it was a very insightful experience for me because I love that phrase sense of becoming. Yes. So for our listeners, what, what are you meaning by that? I think it's that kind of, there's quite often there's a, there's a, not a chasm actually, there's sometimes there's a disconnect where there's a gap between who you feel you, you actually are but the, and the place that you're in. Yeah. And I think, you know, when the book, there were many instances um, of people where 
they kind of had these things that were preoccupation for them, whether it, you know, whether it was a particular style, a particular type of music, just a sort of affinity with certain mm-hmm. things, whether it's a kind of really rock sensibility and actually mm-hmm. you're kind of obsessed with sort of the darker nature of things and, you know, whatever it might be. But then how do you make that leap from where you are yeah. to, to moving into a space where you feel like, actually, yeah, my soul feels quite nourished by this. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm expressing myself here. I feel like I'm living a life which is which I'm sort of honouring uh, without wanting to kind of get into language which is sort of too self-help. Yeah. But I do think that sense of, you know, honouring yourself when you know you're in a good place and you're like, you know, it's always someone... I always remember somebody saying to me, you know, when it comes to energy that you have for things, she said, you know, but this thing is really stressing you you out and you've only spent this many hours on it and yet you can stay up all night writing a book. Mm -hmm. So actually, it's not the time that you're spending, it's the energy and the kind of, the things that energise you and power you up. And I think, yeah, that sort of sense of becoming, so it's kind of sometimes going... I know that you feel you have an obligation to this. And I know actually you might be very good at this. And mm-hmm. I think that's interesting that sometimes I meet people and I work with people who are really actually very successful at something, which is almost a kind of danger yes. in itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I work with people that, that have said, but you know, but the thing that actually makes me buzz, the thing that just gives me this sort of sense of vitality yeah. that makes me feel like I've, I've like hit my purpose I've hit my purpose and now I can take other people and work with them as well yeah. but actually they've been like amazing in another career perhaps so yes. that yeah. can mm-hmm. be really difficult so sometimes I'll meet people and they'll be yeah be having a kind of second career so for instance actually um one of the favorite people I interviewed uh, for a magazine was a woman called Mona Arshi who had been um, a human rights lawyer, Mm -hmm. really, really amazing. She'd worked on things like the Stephen Lawrence case, so really seminal Mm -hmm. cases, Mm -hmm. really high pressure. She had a a little bit of bed rest when she was pregnant with twins. And although she actually loved her job, so it's not a case Mm -hmm. of she hated her job and it wasn't for her, but there was always something else there that she was sort of in her. She's now an award-winning poet. Mm -hmm. And it's not actually that it was like, and actually, funnily enough, it's not, as it very often isn't the case, it's not a case of one door shut and a completely different door and like a different house opened it was actually there was there were kind of commonalities you know again she had you know as a lawyer she was exploring she was at the frontiers Mm -hmm. of a whole load of things she was always in this like new territory she was always you know also she was a human rights lawyer so she was sort of deep down into the human Mm -hmm. psyche Mm -hmm. and you know society and how society treats certain people and all these things and all of these fed into her work as a as a as a writer she's she's also a novelist actually she published her first novel last year and she's just sort of super phenomenal but I think with her there was this sort of sense of being able to express herself through a mode that was actually being able to use you know I mean language as a lawyer Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. language being able to kind of construct arguments being able to express herself she was phenomenal at it Mm -hmm. but there was this level of kind of fantasy and surreality that she could bring in this level of kind of taking I mean poetry by some you know for some people is seen as quite an elite thing but it's also something that kind of has this capacity to really hit the core in a really emotive way it's like when it really works Mm -hmm. it touches people in a way where they can't even quite express it in words themselves it's a bit like listening to an amazing song absolutely and actually for her it was kind of that shift in the way that she used language and her shift in the way that she wanted to explore you know what the human condition Mm -hmm. so it so it wasn't as if she was like 
you know one person trying to like clamber out of like yeah. the you know the cold body of her old life it was just actually there was something else there for her to to morph into and to, yeah. to become and so she somehow ha yeah had this event so she was just an incredible person for me to profile and it's interesting isn't it because i think what i'm hearing you say is that there's something around leaning in more to the energy of what yeah. feels right for you yeah and actually you know when it comes to that kind of like you said kind of understanding more about yourself it's not necessarily about that you have to completely change everything no what what i'm hearing is that what you do is you help out draw out yeah through that profile yeah and through those conversations that you have other aspects of a person's personality yeah their talents their skills their strengths that perhaps it just means that they're building new relationships with themselves in those new areas or yeah. different areas. And and I think sometimes it's not rocket science. It's not necessarily that you're creating somebody new. But it's very nice. It's really nice to have it affirmed. Yes. And I think, you know, quite a few people that I work with, it's interesting because, you know, my, my whole, you know, raison d'etre really is language. You know, language is everything to me. But I work with lots of people that are kind of the most incredible people that, you know, visual culture, whether yeah. it's um, lots of people actually are both. But I've worked with people, whether they're set designers or particularly stylists and the way that they communicate through a different, really different Absolutely. medium. Yeah. And so for them, actually, they're a little bit like, I don't actually really know why I know what they do. And for some people, they like to keep it that way yeah. um, and they don't want to unpack it. But I think what I hope the beauty of what I do in that respect is that it's not saying we're demystifying it as in we're going to sort of just now get to the sort of blood and guts of it and yeah. actually the magic's gone. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, it's more about elevating the magic yes. and showing the magic. Mm. And that's what I really like when we sort of unpack things a bit more. And I'll kind of say, okay, you know, but I've been looking at these images and these campaigns and the last 10 years of your career, the thing that's always really fascinated me, it's not, you know, you like to use these colours or whatever. It'll be there's, there's an obsession with motherhood or there's an obsession mm -hmm. with something else or actually you're pushing this right to the limits of things in a way that other people haven't done. And and there'll always be something that's maybe a bit more conceptual. And a lot of people, I think, really appreciate sort of seeing themselves on paper and going, actually, that is, that is me. That is me. And yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So in today's society, because I know that obviously you are a futurist, as you've described, yeah. and, and, and you you analyse the trends and everything. But, but just well, before we move into the book, I'm just keen to understand yeah. from a, a branding perspective... What are you noticing around branding, personal branding in particular, that might be useful for people who are listening or tuning into this show? I guess I'm maybe I'd say a sort of loosening up of the kind of rules around what it's acceptable to do and what's not acceptable to do. And people kind of um, thinking you can't cross certain boundaries or right. you can't, you know, if you're in this sector, you have to behave like mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. This is a rule. You know, we use this type of language. We we show ourselves in this way, or you wouldn't want to talk about that you had a previous career doing that. I think I'm seeing. I think I'm seeing a, a kind of willingness for people to be open and say, yeah. actually, I did this, but now I'm doing this, and that's totally okay. Yeah. Or borrowing the language from a different industry. But yeah, generally a kind of the wider world saying, it's okay to be on different tracks but even for instance you know recently and actually I did a big I write for Forbes about once a month and I did a big predictions piece I do every year and one of the things I was saying that one of the trends was sort of actually saying um looking at midlife everyone's mm -hmm. obsessed mm -hmm. with youth yeah. they're always obsessed with youth 
particularly if you're a brand because it's like it's your future yeah, consumer yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know but, i'm all for midlife but, <laughs> same 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 um uh, we and it, and it was interesting and it was actually saying like looking at women and there's an amazing book as well called the hundred year life mm-hmm. and the idea was this hundred year life saying that we need to sort of recalibrate how we yeah. think about relationships, mm-hmm. how we think about uh, our working relationships, our, our friendships, our romantic relationships, what work looks like, because actually of middle age, it's actually like 10 or 20 years later now. Exactly. It means that people, and it's not necessarily saying, right, everyone's expected to have X number of jobs in their life, but it's actually saying people are kind of pivoting quite heavily, mm. maybe in the middle. And the way it connected to, there was a, there was a brilliant woman called um, Eleanor Mills, who started something called Noon, which is an editorial platform. She used to be uh, editorial director at the Sunday Times. And they'd done some research um, with this to say that actually for women, for instance, like we're at a point in history now for the first time ever where women are actually kind of having kids, but also carrying on their careers. So they always Mm -hmm. used to be a point where it'd be like, well, women would sort of go on hiatus and therefore their earnings would go down and they wouldn't really have the spending power. And this led to, in the world of advertising and branding, and also in our sort of talking about personal Mm -hmm. branding, people kind of saying, well, you know, we just have, women just have to take a step back and you don't have the earning power and you don't have that sort of firepower in all kinds of ways. So now for the first time, all of a sudden, you've got women in the sort of 45 plus that are, they have a huge influence over the household. But also just in terms of personal spending, they're totally outstripping women in their kind of late 30s and 40s. So all of a sudden it's like you have this power base of Mm -hmm. women Mm -hmm. and yet you have the advertising world just doesn't care, just literally doesn't Mm -hmm. care. So it's all these things we're saying, actually, the world is shifting. Some really big seismic shifts. But also I think, you know, post-pandemic, there's been this massive realisation that actually we can live in quite a different way and not just things like you know working from home which actually for a lot of people isn't really working that well but just actually saying we've got to make some really big changes like we've got to you know sometimes it takes a real seismic shake up for people to go well our economic values you know you've got a whole country saying actually for economic well-being for society we need to really really think what we mean by consumption and you know what you know are the metrics that we had do they even work anymore so basically in a roundabout way it's almost like there's a huge shake-up with everything and people are ready for a shake-up and I think people quite like other people that have shaken things up absolutely not necessarily being like I'm the next you know I'm the next CEO of whatever it doesn't have to be those it can be much much smaller but people that have just made a small difference or just had you know just taken a step into doing something new. I personally, I'm always just incredibly impressed by people where it's like, I've started this business, it's just me yep. or me and one other person. Mm-hmm. It's not about saying I'm, I've got the next multi-million Huge conglomerate. Yeah. And I think when it comes to personal branding, that's that's something that quite often I work with people who actually, quite often actually have the potential to probably be that massive business at some point. But right now it's about quite often turning that thing where it's like, this is the real passion project. Mm-hmm. And it should be a business. And how do I do that? Yeah, yeah. And I really I really enjoy that, actually, because yeah. you see these seeds of things growing. Yeah, and I suppose that kind of entrepreneurial spirit kind of thing is quite exciting, isn't it? Because yeah. it is right at the beginning of something. But I think also as well, I mean, just from my own experience and my own thoughts, I suppose, is that, you know, to make that shift, to make that difference, it doesn't have to be a huge, big, yeah. huge organisation. Yeah. Like you said, everybody, you know, is kind of now taking a bit more 
I suppose being a bit more daring and maybe a bit more courageous yeah. to pivot and to say actually these are the things that I want to do and these are the reasons why yeah and it's okay to do that yeah you, we, we saw it a lot with young people actually I did um I did a bit of work on on you know youth culture a couple of years ago Gen Z because there were so many myths about Gen Z yeah. people going oh, you know they're all eco warriors and blah 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 and actually some of them are really <laughs> dangerous because it's like if that's what you think people are but they're not yeah then you're really in trouble as a brand, especially if you're a brand that genuinely wants to change the world. Mm -hmm. But that sense definitely of like the little side hustles. And the thing that was interesting was that people of that age compared to like, or how millennials were sort of told they should be, is that the really younger people said, I want to have a side hustle, but I just want it to stay fun. Mm -hmm. And I actually really want it to stay fun and have the pleasure in it. I don't want it to become something that's manageable where it has to be talking about how do I make this scalable mm-hmm. and become this big massive thing I actually want to like I want to be more work on that basis of if you do what you love it'll never feel like work yes. more on that kind of thing so almost a sh- I'm seeing a little bit of a shift back to mm-hmm. that actually I was going to say but is that not just a general shift as well because certainly my clients and even me I'm thinking you know I want to be doing things that I love and I wonder yeah. I don't know whether that's since post pandemic as well or through pandemic that lens has changed slightly in terms of what's now more a little important bit, to us yeah I think a little bit more in terms of sort of you know life is really short yes um yeah. and might not be a, someone that everyone's aware of really but people like sort of Virgil Abloh who was this huge character I mean, he was a creative director at LVMH and he was um part of the whole kind of group of people you know at the time like Kanye West etc yeah. but that mm-hmm. were really changing the game for black creatives and uh, luxury culture and design and what it meant to be designer. Mm-hmm. He was an architect originally. So again, he'd slip, mm-hmm. slipped into a very different yep. space, very multidisciplinary. The idea of what it means to be a creative, even sort of thinking about right back to the days of sort of, you know, your Deschamps and your kind of mm-hmm. ready-mades mm-hmm. and kind of actually, you know, creating collections for some people like, is this genius or is it nothing? Who, do you, who yeah. knows? Mm-hmm. You know, passed away at kind of 41. I guess I'm saying that because that was someone that really resonated with me. I'd had yeah. a very small amount of contact with him. I knew people that worked with him. But it was those sorts of shocks. And at that point, that was probably about a year ago, something like that. And it was at that point post-pandemic where people were yeah. like, actually, we need to seek out the pleasure in life. Mm. There's this whole sort of focus almost on like the pleasure revolution yeah. that we need mm-hmm. to like prioritise pleasure. Again, whether that's pleasure in you know literally even talking I've done quite a lot actually to, uh, looking at sort of sex actually mm-hmm. recently as a trends forecaster not not so long ago so whether it's very literally sort of <laughs> talking about pleasure or just being a bit happier in the job that you do yeah. that sense of like let's squeeze more yeah out of life becoming really important which is obviously a good thing um, yeah I would agree and I, I love that the pleasure evolution yeah kind of pleasure like... revolu- revolution <laughs> revolution, revolution <exactly>. yeah absolutely <laughs> really interesting amazing so obviously you, you 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 thank you so much this is great so I'm just curious around then the books because yeah. You are an author. You have these amazing, amazing books. So tell me just a little bit around what prompted you to pull all that together and yeah. how that came to fruition for you. Well, the first book, funnily enough, I um, I guess I've always had, and it's funny, as a writer, I guess, you know, I explore the world through my writing. And when you're exploring the world, you know, you're interested in people. But I think sometimes also you feel, I feel quite strongly about a sense of injustice where you're like, this person is brilliant. Why aren't they being talked about? Yeah. And if you manage to get into a position where you can get something published and out there and have a voice mm-hmm. in like that, it's it's re- it's a real privilege. Yeah. And with the first book, I was working at uh, Harper's Bazaar, funny enough. So I was a producer. I was an editor at Harper's Bazaar. So I was producing yeah. a lot of shoots. And I was working with like incredible people and incredible, mostly women, actually, 
incredible women who via the way that they were using fashion, they were actually kind of, and this was a period where you'd have people like Corinne Reutfeld, who was, you know, a stylist and a fashion editor, but also editor-in-chief of French Vogue, one of the most powerful kind of fashion mm-hmm. Bibles at the time. And you'd have all, and so that was Vogue, but there were also these other people that were doing other magazines, people like Katie Grand, for instance, who had like Love magazine, and mm-hmm. she was very, she's had sort of several magazines, and she's, but she was also very close to the heart of many fashion brands and worked very closely with, with seminal designers like Marc Jacobs. And all these people that were like, the things we were seeing on, whether it was pop videos or mm-hmm. whether it was um, catwalk shows or just the collections, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the galaxy dress. There was a huge thing about that Roman Murray. Mm-hmm. One of my bosses at the time, Sophia Neofitu um, Apostolou, she was actually almost the kind of muse behind that in a way. She was kind of one of his sort of creative team. And so I kind of saw all these other people that were having like a massive influence on, yeah. on popular culture. Because fashion's one of those things where you can work in fashion, but you would also be really outside it and it still touches your life. Yeah. You know, and I've, all, I've always been really interested in things that have that sort of populist connection to populist culture. Things that can be elite, but also populist. Yeah. So the long story short is I, I wrote that book because there was a book that was a very good book about stylists, but it was all Vogue stylists. Yeah. And I was like, the world is not all about Vogue. Yeah. The world is also <laughs> about street style and yeah. ID and the mm-hmm. face magazine and some of these magazines that I grew up where it was like writing about literally people on the street and rave culture and fashion through very different lenses um, and very different sort of un- views on the world. So I did this book and the, the key thing with the book, all the people in the book through fashion, it literally like literally like putting glasses on and seeing the world in a completely mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. way. So fashion was kind of the hook, but actually you're talking about people from quite often from different walks of life, different perspectives, different things they want to communicate. And so that was the first book I did. And I was really, and I'm, I'm really proud because it's a lot of universities now. And funny enough, I've met lots of people who, who said that their tutors had said, styling's not really a thing. It's always about the designer. But actually, as Nick Knight, who wrote the foreword said, he was like, actually, it's the stylist though, that generally open your eyes to a world Absolutely. you couldn't have seen mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the designer has their collection, the photographer, you know, you've got these people, but actually the stylists are almost like these magpies. Yeah creative directors between different worlds so they're almost summoning up new worlds and I love that and it's the same when I'm working on personal branding you know very often you know like when I'm talking to you you have literally created other for other people particularly the amount of other worlds that you might have whipped into being through working mm-hmm. with people and making them understand helping them on that journey yeah so that was the first book and I was that was that was really exciting um, and then the second book was about fashion and music because actually I really like writing about the intersections of things, yeah. where you get this crossover. And again, that relates back to personal branding. Mm-hmm. Most people, it's kind of them digging into something. Yep. And with that book, that was a phenomenal book because I was a, I was a sort of child of the MTV generation. Me too. And, top of, and top of the pops. <laughs> yes, you know, I remember top so of the pops. Actually, yes. so some of my first, you know, my mm-hmm. my fair, the, the reason I was into fashion was because actually it was like watching Madonna on top of, top of the pops and like, God, my poor parents, like probably jumping around to like a virgin or something. I do remember asking the question, what does a virgin mean? And my dad just being like, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. You know, I've probably been about like seven or eight or something. But for me, it was incredible because you had these people that had you know enormous influence by having these identities that were sort of semi-constructed but absolutely not manufactured absolutely not people where it was like you know they were using fashion to kind of sell 
the brand sell yep. themselves to mm -hmm. be the person they kind of wanted to be because yeah. a lot of these people i mean you know larger than life i, mean, I suppose madonna is a prime example of that though Oops, yeah. yeah so madonna is obviously a prime example of that yeah. because she was the brand yeah, and, and still is the brand she completely is and i think if you you know with madonna it's that she answers in a way people that are kind of confused about but how can you kind of be authentic yeah. but ha but take on these different characters mm -hmm. and i think someone like madonna if you look particularly she was amazing um at that point where every single album yeah. you know your people will, might remember um depending on what age you are <laughs> you know there was like um when she went through you know there was a whole phase where she was kind of almost in this sort of um you know wearing a lot of kind of male clothing and it yes. was really tailored and i've got massive there's actually on the front of my book there's a shoot that actually came much later but kind of related to that phase and there's the amazing shoot where she's at a party i think with lenny kravitz and She's uh, got almost this sort of like Heidi, sort of Swiss Heidi sort mm -hmm, of look mm -hmm. on. And then she goes into her ray of light Absolutely, era after yeah. she'd had her mm -hmm. daughter. And she'd yeah. kind of gone into this place where she, she, I mean, she was always, always interested in spirituality because obviously religion's been a huge theme throughout oh, her really life good, and yeah. her music. Mm -hmm. But she went into a different phase there that arguably was maybe a sort of softer phase. There was maybe a sort of sense of some of the pressure that she this sort of huge desire for motherhood yeah. connected also to losing her own mother and it there were all these things in the book these different phases that she went through and very legitimately you know each detached to creating a, uh, you know creating an album is very much for a lot of people like creating a movie Absolutely. you know you're absorbed mm -hmm. in it you're funny enough i've just interviewed um sandy powell who's a triple oscar-winning costume designer she did things like uh, The Departed, uh, mm -hmm. Gangs of New York, The Living, mm -hmm. um, just incredible. And she would talk about the way that people like Todd Haynes and Scors Scorsese work. And she said, literally, you get this like dossier of material. Someone like Todd Haynes, who did Velvet, Velvet Goldmine, mm -hmm. what you get is um, you'll get a soundtrack as well. Not always, sometimes songs that are going to be in the movie, but sometimes yeah. not. Sometimes it's almost like immerse yourself in this yep. world so you know and the producers that work with them whether it's on a film or madonna for that period you are you are going into a different universe a different Absolutely. reality that is your reality and i think that's really fascinating and i think it's a really good almost sort of metaphor for understanding ourselves as that you can be several things at once and you know you can be kind of construct yourself whilst being very authentic yeah and i think you know, there's a, there's a weird kind of conception that almost everything has to be sort of like stripped back and raw. And it's like being who you are can be a construct of yeah. yourself. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned over the, over the years is that being yourself actually is really where we should be, you know. And, and I, but I think from a branding perspective, it's, it's not always easy to get that right and to pitch it in the right way. Yeah. But obviously through the work that you've done through the books and through your, the, even just the forecasting and, and, and just the experience of the branding, what are the top tips that you think would be, we should be looking out for? Yeah. Just, to, just as the, I mean, because obviously you're working in such an amazing world. I mean, to me, I could sit here, I'm like, I'm like this, my mouth's like dropped. I'm, <laughs> I'm so fascinated by the contacts, the experiences that you had, the conversations yeah. that you've had with all these amazing people. But, you know, for us ordinary folk, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what would, and this obviously we're not ordinary, but you know what I mean? But, you know, yeah. what, what, what tips for consideration do you think we should be thinking about? Well, the biggest one, I was really thinking about this. It's hard, isn't it? Cause it's like, well, what can I, what should I tell anyone else? But the, the biggest thing that trends forecasting, ironically, has taught me is that we're here to sort of shape what happens. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of what I'm doing is saying, 
this is what I think is coming down the line if these things continue in this way, which gives you a chance to go, actually, I don't really want it to work like that way. So I will design that thing differently. I will behave differently to kind of create a slight change. And so it's actually quite an empowering feeling to know that although I personally kind of believe in you know there are some paths maybe there for you if you want maybe that ultimately you can really control it yourself um you can kind of be responsible for that and things aren't set you're not kind of trapped if you Mm. like you're not Mm -hmm. trapped on this kind of one track of destiny um things aren't inevitable nothing is inevitable weirdly I worked with a group of guys recently who have a digital art collective and they had this huge mantra about saying the future is inevitable and I was like, you of all people must know you're in this pioneering space. And funny enough, so I was working with them almost on their communications. Yeah. They all had a different idea of who they were and some of them were highly conflicting. And But I was saying, you know, fundamentally, let's look at your actual sort of truths, your personal yeah. truths. But I, but that, that one to me was, was bananas, yeah. really. I think there's that sort of sense of keeping learning. I don't know if that sounds a bit trite, but I... No, I like it. I mean, I'm, I'm a big... I, I think it's a very important point. Keeping learning to kind of... Even if you're the expert at something and that it's okay to yeah. keep learning and, and other people appreciate that you keep learning because yeah. I think, you know, in my job, there's always that fear that you think, well, people come to you because they're the expert. Yeah. And so there's that kind of uh, artifice of saying, no, I know everything. I've got everything. I've got all of it handled. The point is, I think, to know that, you know, if you're establishing a new business or whatever you're doing in that way, as long as you're showing that you're keeping learning and that you're on top of that learning and you know where you should be looking to what is it you should be learning then that's kind of okay going outside of your lane a bit I mean don't get me wrong I think it's very good to 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 know who you are And and, and you know as someone as you know, when I work with people on their personal branding, I'm very big on kind of that understanding who you are because yeah. you need other people need to know what mm-hmm. you can give them. What is it you can really yeah. do for them and with them? Um, otherwise, it's very confusing if it's very nebulous for people. They yeah, need to sure. know you compared to somebody else. Yeah. Where will you differ for that? That is important. But in terms of how you're talking about yourself, if you feel like I'm working, you know, whether you're a doctor or a photographer or whatever you're doing or, you know... Uh, you know a gardener it's about being like it's okay though to be able to play especially if you're working (laughs) with someone like me um to be able to kind of bend the rules a bit and go actually it's like say say like i i have a friend actually who um was a product design developer did amazing things worked for paul smith um who now is this brilliant landscape gardener and it's that kind of but actually some of the way that kind of the language she used and and the way that she presents herself on instagram her website it's much more the language of, you know, and an amazing, that kind of interior design world, as yeah. opposed to at that point when she started the business, the kind of gardening tended to be a little bit more sort of just sort of Chelsea flower show yeah. or um, it, there, there was a sort of, it was a sort of felt like a slightly different sort of sector and vibe yeah. and everything mm-hmm. around that. So I think being able to kind of think about going out of your lane is yeah. kind of good. So I guess those are my top tips, yeah, but I, I um, yeah. that kind of, yeah, it's, it's funny that sort of, um, the belief in yourself mm. i've just i've just been at a conference weirdly a retail conference uh, where simone biles was speaking the gymnast and it was fascinating speak, hearing her because yeah. she had despite the fact she was talking about all the trauma that she'd gone through and the trauma behind the scenes which no one knew about when her life was being played out in public yeah. i don't think i've ever seen somebody talk who had such a strong sense of self mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he was able to say 
this really struck me and she sort of said well you know I'm an elite athlete and I was working with other elite athletes and she had this utmost confidence to say I'm really amazing actually yeah. but in a way that there was nothing cocky about it nothing bravado yeah. she just had this like core sense of herself that was so strong that sort of belief in herself yeah. without I'm not really sure what I'm saying here as a tip <laughs> well no but, but I think what, what I well I'll tell you what I'm hearing and see if this resonates is that actually we are the human condition is for us to be in conflict with ourselves that's kind of mm. my experience anyway. Um, but when you do have a deep sense of belief, then you can convey your message, yeah. who you are, speak your truth, and actually most probably find a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a most probably a lot of connection, alignment, whatever, whatever synchronicity, yeah. whatever the word is, in how you yeah. present yourself yeah, and, and how you show up in the world. Yeah, I was just, I, it really struck me. I really, I've, I've seen lots of people speak. I've actually seen a lot of sports people speak um, because they have, you know, a lot of sports people have yeah. this amazing capacity to be able to push through barriers, mental barriers yeah. that other people can't. And um, and there's a lot of learnings that, you know, business people, mm -hmm. people want to take from that. But I've never seen anyone who had been through kind of such a rough ride in a way. And yep. she had, she had, you know, her background, um, you know, she'd been adopted. So as a, as a child, she'd been through, not that that automa automatically means you have a, have a rough time, but she's, you know, in a, in a quite a young life, she'd had quite but an she'd unsettled. she'd been quite a journey, absolutely. Yeah, and she'd, you know, been moved around into yep. sort of different families quite a lot. And she'd quite a journey. And, and obviously everything that played out in the media and the way that was portrayed, which is an entirely other world, like literally like putting another layer onto yourself mm -hmm. where you mm -hmm. start, you know, she taught, started to talk about how you how do you really feel about yourself because you're seeing this almost like yeah, it's, it's not a mirror but you feel like it's being presented to you as a mirror but yeah. it's not you but she just had this sort of sense of this core core like strand almost yeah. like that idea of you know someone having like a pillar of light in the middle yeah. of them where you're like she's gonna be okay because yeah. actually that stuff was so strong and that belief and actually it's, and i just felt it was quite rare i feel like i'm talking inadvertently i wasn't expecting to about women and very often with women, you get this sense of apology. Yeah. So I've seen her kind of male equivalent talk about things and it's very expected. But to see a woman was just like, yeah. I'm elite. I am the best of the best. I am. Yeah. And not apologize for it and just go, I am. I work very hard for it and I am. Yeah. And now she's giving all this other stuff back and she's doing a lot of work um, with a brand actually with young um, girls. And it's yeah. sort of about becoming, and that's about becoming as well. Yeah. Actually, it's about becoming who you are. Yeah. It's very liberating. Yeah. And I, I would I would agree. I think that for me, I would describe it as that there's a, a golden thread. And when we're yeah. when that golden thread is aligned, then we can really do that amazing work. We can yeah. inspire, we can motivate, we can we can express ourselves and, and that, that kind of conflict yeah. resides. You but, know, it goes to yeah. it doesn't it doesn't exist. Because she's almost going she's now, you know, and, and as an athlete, it's, a, it's actually it's good in terms of thinking about that kind of pivot. Anyone that's listening that's thinking about changing because yeah. of course as an athlete you've got really quite a limited yeah, time in period, that yeah. so you really mm -hmm. quite early earlier than most people have to think about yeah. what do you go into so she's sort of thinking about now how she yeah keeps that core pillar and what is it that she takes from those things that she's loved about the previous professional yeah, she life how does she take her. it and mm -hmm. how is she going to give it to other people Amazing. and it was so it was so absorbing it was quite magnetic actually yeah what an amazing conversation <laughs> so lots of learnings but for me i think what i heard is that actually at the end of the day we are the curators of our own lives yeah we can pivot at any time yeah we don't have to stay in the same lane but it's sometimes nice to be in the same lane but we can switch lanes if we want yeah but there's something there about keep developing and evolving. I mean, of course we're evolving, but actually be okay about that and actually not be embarrassed about saying that this yeah. is who I once was and this is where I am now and have that approach to keep learning and yeah. 
future focused. Absolutely, yeah. So where can people get hold of you? How can people find out more about your books, the work that yeah. you do? Because I've loved having this conversation. Thank you. Um, yeah, actually, I guess well, I do have a website, katiebaron.com, yeah. which is probably the easiest way to get hold of me. And if you Google me in Forbes, you'll see my Forbes work. So, yeah, my website, I hesitate to say that's quite out of date now. <laughs> but <laughs> the books are still but up there. The, the books are on there. The yeah, books absolutely. are still up there. So, yes, expect a zhuzhed up version of that quite soon. Awesome. But, yeah, thank you very much for thank having me. Thank you so much, Katie. What a fascinating conversation. I've absolutely loved listening to Katie share all of her stories, her experiences, and all the really, really interesting work that she does. Absolutely fascinated by the level of conversation that Katie's having with these, you know, very interesting and diverse range of people. What struck me about this conversation is first of all, Katie's personal energy about how she lights up when she talks about the work that she does, how passionate she is. And you can just see that she loves absolutely everything she does. And I think for me, that's a really big takeaway, you know, kind of thinking about who you are and what you do. Absolutely loved talking to Katie around the pleasure revolution, which is just fascinating. But what was also interesting is the sense of becoming. Now, obviously that resonates to me because I'm a coach and I love the idea of us becoming and moving into something. But what's interesting is that, you know, sometimes we might need to pay attention to the energy, what draws us, what connects us to things. There's this opportunity to dig a bit deeper and to understand a little bit more around who we really are and what we actually want. And it's okay to switch lanes. We don't always have to be that one trick pony. There's opportunity to express yourself, to explore new things about yourself. And I love Katie's top tips towards the end that we are the curators of our own life. We can create our own brand of who we are and what we stand for. There is something there about believing in self. Keep developing, keep evolving, and more than anything else, keep learning, not just about yourself, but what's happening around you. And pay attention to those shifts in energy, shifts in culture, shifts in society, because all that will help you learn to be more content with who you are and show up in the world as you're meant to show up. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I really thought it was fascinating and I've learned an awful lot from Katie and I hope you did too. 